Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to talk about how to supercharge your self-esteem. And when we talk about self-esteem, we're talking about how you feel about you. Google self-esteem at any time, and you'll see hundreds of recent articles about how to get more of this coveted quality in your life. So I thought I'd dedicate an entire episode to self-esteem. It is very important that you know self-esteem is not a trait. It's not fixed. In fact, it is a skill you can build and work on at any time. And that's what's really exciting to me, that there are ways in which you can build self-esteem. And I'm going to teach you how to do this today. But first, let's talk about what self-esteem is. Self-esteem is your subjective awareness of your self-worth and personal value. Self-esteem is essential for psychological survival. It involves core beliefs about yourself and how you believe others view and react to you. The more we believe that we're worthy of happiness and good things in life, the more self-fulfilled we'll be. But the harsher you judge and reject yourself, the more it causes pain. Think about how that voice inside of you talks to you. How often do you commend yourself for your skills and good qualities? Conversely, how often do you criticize yourself and put yourself down? When we don't believe that we're worthy, our ability to enjoy good things can suffer. We may self-sabotage our good fortunes or be suspicious when people do nice things for us. We take fewer social, academic, or career risks and limit our opportunities to ask for help or to solve problems. Over time, this can wreak havoc on our relationships and our ability to go after the goals we want. So where does self-esteem come from? Self-esteem can be influenced by a variety of factors, including genetics, personality, life experiences, thoughts, social situations, reactions of others, and social comparisons. But wherever your sense of self is right now, let's get to work building your self-esteem together. I have an action-packed episode lined up for you today. First, we'll talk about what high self-esteem looks like, and conversely, also discuss common self-esteem issues that people experience. Then we will do a self-esteem quick quiz together to check your current self-esteem level. Then we're going to tackle some listener questions on how to build self-esteem, and we'll finish up with my supercharged tips on how to skyrocket your self-esteem today. We know that people with high self-esteem experience the following. As we go through these traits, think about if any of these apply to you. Do you appreciate yourself and other people? Are you able to dig deep within yourself and be creative? Can you easily concentrate on solving problems? Do you have loving and respectful relationships without trying to change the people around you? Do you know what your values are and live your life according to them? Do you speak up and confidently tell others your opinions, wants, and needs? And finally, do you handle criticism without taking it personally, knowing that that criticism can help you to learn and grow? Essentially, do you believe that your worth is not dependent on the opinions of others? Studies tell us that high self-esteem has strong relationships to happiness, success in multiple areas of life, and they also help to buffer against the effects of stress. 
People with high self-esteem tend to take more initiative in life and experience more positive feelings. So if that's what high self-esteem looks like, what are some of the traits or characteristics of people who might struggle with self-esteem right now? Here are a list of common self-esteem issues. Think about if any of these apply to you. Do you people please and struggle to say no? Do you sometimes feel that your opinions aren't important? Are you highly sensitive to others' reactions towards you? Do you doubt your decisions, abilities, and chances for success? Do you avoid taking risks or trying new things? Do you engage in addictive or avoidant behaviors to cope? Do you find it difficult asking for your needs to be met? And do you often compare yourself with others, feeling that you always come in as second best? If some of these apply to you, don't worry because we are totally going to problem solve this today. But first, let's take the Rosenberg self-esteem scale together. This is a widely used scientific self-report instrument for evaluating individual self-esteem using 10 questions. And these questions measure both positive and negative feelings about yourself. Now, just a note, I did modify this to make it more simple to administer on this podcast platform. But if you want to check out the original version for yourself, check out my show notes and there will be a link where you can take the original version or give it to somebody that you'd like to work on regarding self-esteem. So I'm going to read you these 10 statements and just indicate whether you generally agree or disagree with them. First, on the whole, I am satisfied with myself. Agree or disagree? Second question. I believe I am of some good to the world. Agree or disagree? Third, I feel that I have a number of good qualities. Agree or disagree? Fourth, I am able to do things as well as most people. Agree or disagree? Five, I have some things I feel proud of. Agree or disagree? Six, I consider myself to be a useful person. Agree or disagree? Seven, I feel that I'm a person of worth, at least on an equal plane with others. Agree or disagree? Eight, I don't feel I need more self-respect. Agree or disagree? Nine, I generally feel successful. Agree or disagree? And finally, 10, I take a positive attitude toward myself. Agree or disagree? So how did you do? The more agrees you have, the better your self-esteem. Chances are there were a few of those statements you didn't agree with. And if that's the case, your self-esteem could use a little tune-up. I'm tackling all of your self-esteem related questions today. So let's visit with my fabulous team, my producer, Stephanie and sound engineer, Jackson. Hi guys. Hi, Dr. Judy. How are you? I'm doing great. What did you guys think about that Rosenberg self-esteem scale? Did you feel like you were able to say yes to some of those questions? It was, I, I was surprised that I said no a few times. I thought I was thinking my self-esteem was pretty good, but there were definitely a few of those where I was like, I, I would have to say more disagree than agree on that one. Wow, that's so interesting. And I think that that is the value sometimes of these self-assessments is you can kind of see where you're doing well and maybe some areas where you can improve or work on. What about you, Jackson? What did you think about that self-esteem scale? I thought it was interesting. I agree with Stephanie. There's definitely a few that I was like, okay, I, if I'm being honest with myself, I do disagree. But I think the most part I agreed, which 
was fulfilling at least. Yeah, I think it's also sometimes good. It's affirming when you say, okay, good. My self-esteem is in a pretty good place. But as we've talked about, if you disagreed with a few of those statements, that's okay. That's probably what most people feel at any given time. And that's why we're going to tackle these questions now. So Stephanie, what's our first listener question about self-esteem? Great. So the first question is from Linda from Facebook. And she says, I had a very rejected mother. She was so self-critical. And now as an adult, I find that I've adopted her voice and always criticize myself. How do I change this negative self-talk? What a great question from Linda. And Linda, your experience is very common. In my book, Stop Self-Sabotage, I actually talk about this a lot, that people sometimes carry these internalized beliefs from childhood. And of course we do that because as a child, we're learning how the world works, and that includes how we believe the world is going to respond to us. And if your own parent is rejecting towards you and they're supposed to be the people who love you the most or who give you that unconditional support, what are you supposed to think about yourself after that? And I think so many people do carry their parents' views of them or their parents' judgments of them with them into adulthood. And it becomes their own voice over time so that that self-talk becomes just as negative as it was when you were a child experiencing this from important adults. So the best way to change the negative self-talk, because as we've mentioned, negative self-talk does influence how we feel about ourselves. And it may lead us to believe that we don't deserve good things. It's really important to stop accepting that any form of negative self-talk actually reflects the truth. We have to start thinking about thoughts as mere mental events that could be true or could not be true. So you have to start taking a critical thinking approach towards your own negative self-talk and actually question whether or not it holds water, whether or not it truly reflects your life at this moment in time. And when you start to take this perspective where when you have a thought, you don't automatically emotionally react to it. And instead you ask yourself, Hmm, is this thought really true? That in itself can really start to turn that negative self-talk around because of the fact that you're putting this seed of doubt in your head that that actually reflects anything that is completely undisputable. This is not a indisputable fact. This is something that actually could lend itself to being questioned and possibly being changed. And when you start to take that perspective towards your thoughts, then that opens the door for you to fill in the blanks with a thought that actually is more realistic. And my Most favorite way of being able to do this is a technique that I call devil's advocate. And this is a technique that is discussed in the cognitive behavioral therapy literature so that you really ask yourself what is true about this thought and what is not true about this thought and really give both of those questions equal weight. So good luck to you, Linda. Such a great question. And I think so many people resonate with that. I love that tip on the devil's advocate. Barrett from Instagram asks, I know I shouldn't compare myself, blah, 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 but my brother is always one-upping me and it's hard to overcome the feeling that I just don't measure up. It's caused friction in my family, relationships, and I don't want to resent my brother either. What can I do to move past this? 
Oh boy, Barrett. Well, those sibling dynamics can be tough. And I think that it's so easy for siblings to compare themselves to one another because obviously they're right there. It's an easy social comparison. They're right in the middle of your family. But also sometimes parents do that and set their children up for that. They don't realize that they're doing it. Sometimes they'll say things like, oh, your brother is so much more hardworking than you, or your sister is so much more talented than you at this thing. And maybe they didn't mean anything by it, but as we mentioned, kids really absorb that information from a young age. And I would suspect that Barrett didn't just learn this all on his own. Probably there was some comparison going back and forth that maybe the adults in their lives uh, actually started when Barrett and his brother were young. And now Barrett has inherited that type of comparison in many ways, like Linda, our previous listener, inherited that negative self-talk from her mother. So the most important thing, and as we mentioned, these frequent comparisons and specifically comparisons where then you don't feel like you measure up compared to somebody else is a indicator of shaky self-esteem. And so this is something to work on. And clearly, Barrett, sounds like you love your brother. You don't want to have this friction for no reason. So the most important thing is to try to think about yourself as an individual separate from your brother. I know that that is a concept that maybe doesn't feel so obvious, but it's a really important concept that you consider yourself as a unique person that has your own value independent of achievements or accomplishments or these tangible things that people can see about you and your brother. And also it will be helpful if you develop certain interests or hobbies or other activities that are separate of what your brother is doing so that the comparisons aren't going to be so exact and direct. And that's something that I talk to siblings about all the time is even if there's two siblings working in the same industry. And so that way the direct comparison feels like it's right at your fingertips. What are the things that are different about each of you? What are the things that you generally like to do outside of work? Develop a sense of self-concept completely different from your brothers and, and really appreciate the uniqueness of who you are and what you have to offer outside of just these things that feel like achievements and accomplishments that you can check off on a list. And that's going to be the very first step in overcoming this comparison. It's also really important that we utilize a technique from dialectical behavior therapy called act as if. And so sometimes you may actually feel like you're in a very competitive state with your brother. You may actually be tempted to criticize him. You may actually start to feel jealous. Well, when those feelings come up, actually act in the opposite way of your emotions urge. So instead of acting in a jealous way, act in a really affirming and supportive way. Celebrate your brother's successes. The more you're able to do that, the more you're going to feel good about yourself. And that's also a source of self-esteem, seeing yourself as a generous person who can celebrate others' successes. So Barrett, I hope that gets you started. A complicated question, but I hope that those tips help you to get on your way to having a more positive relationship with your family. Great. Okay. So this next question is from Manny from Instagram. Manny says, I'm plenty confident in my career, but when it comes to my romantic life, I'm constantly doubting myself and I'm sure it's causing me to self-sabotage when I'm dating. Is this common that I feel totally confident at work and not at all confident in my romantic life? Any advice? 
Manny, totally. Most people have different types of self-esteem in the different domains of their life. They may feel extremely confident at work and less confident in their romantic relationships and some people vice versa. And I would say that self-esteem is made up of so many different components and people start to learn at a younger age especially from their social environment, what they tend to be rewarded for and what they tend to not be rewarded for. So maybe in your teenage years, for example, if you've suffered some uh, situations where maybe you weren't that uh, person who was most desired among your group or you had some terrible breakups, it can start to impact your self-esteem in the area of romantic pursuits. And similarly, if you have great self-esteem at work, it's probably because you were rewarded more often in academic and occupational environments. And you started to think about that and develop that skill even more. But as we mentioned, self-esteem truly is a skill. And so you can develop your self-esteem skill in the area of romantic relationships as well. And part of it is really just not putting so much stock into any one experience that you have in terms of your dating relationships and really seeing the entire domain as a whole as a ground for experimentation and learning more about yourself. So sometimes when people tell me that they have struggles in self-esteem with their romantic relationships, they will go on one date and they feel like they're putting all their eggs in one basket. They're thinking about if it goes poorly, then what that might mean. So I think it's really important that you start to disengage from that type of thinking and just think of the dating experiences as ways in which you can learn more about yourself and what works and what doesn't, what you like and you don't like, really take an attitude of curiosity and not putting so much stock in any specific dating experience. Know that there's always the other person on the other side of the table. They're coming with their own insecurities too. And sometimes actually putting yourself in someone else's shoes and how they might be feeling on a first, second, or third date can help you to develop a bit more of relief and also a little bit more of your own confidence walking into that situation, knowing that it's not just you who might be nervous in that situation. Finally, I would say if you are finding that in romantic relationships, you're constantly doubting yourself, it's also good to work on your self-esteem on your own, you know, really getting comfortable with being by yourself, being on your own, um, doing things on your own, feeling good about what you have to offer before you get back in that dating world again. On a recent episode with Michelle Dempsey, and you guys should definitely check out that episode if you haven't heard about it, both of us talked about the importance of loving yourself, caring for yourself, being comfortable in your own skin. So the more you work on those skill sets, the more you will feel confident in your dating relationship. So hopefully that helps, Manny. Check in with us and let us know how it's going. That was great. Tanya from Instagram says, I've read a lot of your posts about self-compassion and I believe in it in theory and I know it's a good idea, but I have a hard time implementing it. I'm much better at being compassionate to other people. Any advice? And how does self-compassion relate to self-esteem? Well, Tanya, self-compassion has a direct relationship to self-esteem. This is such a great question because oftentimes people 
really do find it hard to be kind to themselves. And by the way, that little voice that tells you to not be kind to yourself or criticizes you, in many ways, it comes from a place of self-improvement. I've talked to many people, worked with many people who say that they do that either consciously or subconsciously because they think it's a motivator that the more they criticize themselves, the more they will do better the next time. But actually, as we mentioned, the negative self-talk really does weigh us down and actually causes us to believe that we don't really deserve good things over time. And so it is important to balance this idea of, I want to improve with but I also need to have compassion for myself. And how can I motivate myself in a way that doesn't feel like I have to beat myself up in my head to get me to the next level? And one of my favorite exercises for self-compassion is the loving kindness meditation. I love this exercise because it's easy to do, and if you're just getting started with meditation, don't worry because I am so the quintessential person who says I don't like meditations in general, but I've really started to lean into guided meditations, especially ones that are briefer and can be done in a few minutes, because then I don't have to necessarily do the work of coming up with the things to think about during these uh, practices. And the loving kindness meditation is readily available everywhere. If you just Google loving kindness meditation, you will find literally dozens of YouTube videos of all varying lengths from three minutes up to 25 minutes where somebody will guide you through this exercise. And the idea of this exercise is that you are expressing loving, kind, and thoughtful feelings towards a person that you care about and a person that you love, a person that you may be in conflict with, and then finally towards yourself. And it involves repeating a series of mantras, like bring this person that you care about uh, to your mind's eye and visualize them in front of you and visualize yourself saying to them, I wish you well, I wish you happiness, I wish you reach the goals that you want in your life, I wish that you experience joy and happiness. And you then at the very end of the exercise, direct those statements to yourself. And it's a super powerful exercise. I've talked to patients that said that they cried towards the end when they directed it towards themselves because they're just not used to speaking to themselves that way. So give that a whirl. And I think that if you can put that into your weekly practice, maybe do that a couple of times a week, it's really going to make a difference because how we speak to ourselves has a huge influence on how we feel about ourselves. And that relates directly to your self-esteem. Great. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that idea of self-compassion as an active practice is really useful. This next question is from Carrie from Facebook. I think I'm pretty perceptive and know this is a problem. Whenever I hear criticism, my first reaction is to defend myself and put my guard up. I know that hasn't helped me in my work relationships or at home. How can I respond better to critics? Very good question, Carrie. And also a very insightful analysis of how you react to criticism. And I would just say that I think this is 100% relatable because especially when we're not feeling great about ourselves or when we're under stress, it really affects our communication style. And I think when somebody criticizes us, our first line of defense when we're not feeling our best is to put our guards up and 
to refute what they're saying. But of course, that then leads you down a path of more negative relationships and it doesn't serve anybody well. So in terms of responding better to critics, I have a three-part technique that y'all should try and I think it works really well. So remember that, take a deep breath actually first, that would be step number one. And then after that, acknowledge what the person is saying without judgment, just take a observer stance. And from that place, acknowledge that this person is giving you some type of feedback and it may or may not be something that you're wanting to hear, but just acknowledge it and acknowledge it out loud to the person. I hear that you're saying this. I hear that you were unhappy with my performance on the last project. I hear that you were upset when I said this to you the other day, right? Just acknowledge it without necessarily saying, this is what I did, or this is what I didn't do. And then the next step is to agree in part or agree in theory. And some helpful ways to communicate this would be, I can see how you felt that way, right? Again, you're not necessarily saying that you 100% agree with what they're telling you, but you're saying, I can see your viewpoint. I can understand why you might feel this way. And then the last step is to clarify and ask questions. And so this is how you can get some feedback and not necessarily own the whole thing if you don't agree with it, but still move to a point of problem solving. So may I ask you what I said that was upsetting to you so I can understand better the next time? So clarify, ask questions, or even in some ways talk about your own reflections. I didn't realize that I had a angry tone towards you. Could you tell me how that came about so that I can make sure not to do it the next time? So if you use this three-part process, plus the deep breathing before, so you don't react from a place of emotion, acknowledge, agree in part in theory, and finally clarify and ask questions, you will be able to start working towards dealing with criticisms in a more proactive way that feels non-defensive. And the more you do this, the better your self-esteem will be too, because you'll reflect back and feel really good about how you handled it. So good luck, Carrie. Great question. That was great. Andy from Instagram says, I love my wife and constantly tell her how amazing she is, but she doesn't have the greatest self-esteem and doesn't believe in herself. She'll start projects, then stop, even cut off friendships I think are good for her. Is there something I can do for her to help her have better self-esteem? What a sweet sentiment, Andy. And I know that it can be a struggle when we love and adore certain people in our lives and it doesn't feel like they love and adore themselves. And although it's hard for you to watch her do this, and I'm sure you do so many wonderful things to try to reaffirm her all the time, self-esteem really has to come from a place of self, why it's called self-esteem. And when somebody isn't feeling great about themselves or feeling quite low, the more you tell them positive things, the more they actually won't believe you or try to refute it or believe they don't deserve it. And so because of that odd dynamic, in some ways, telling her how amazing she is might be incongruent to her own beliefs at this moment. And it doesn't mean that you stop telling her how amazing she is, but if it's sort of falling on deaf ears, I hope that you don't get discouraged because you have to understand that when somebody struggles with self-esteem, 
that's how they feel when people are overly loving towards them. So one of the things that I think is really important in this instance is to actually take a step back and reinforce her, not necessarily for traits, like how beautiful, how smart, those types of things are more considered traits and actually starting to compliment her as well on process, on her efforts, on her attitude, things that are clearly susceptible to individual action and change. So if she starts the project, you affirm her by saying, that's amazing that you got that project started today. That's so cool. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad that you're working hard on that project, right? When she starts a new friendship and perhaps she's treading lightly, she's not exactly sure how much she's going to delve into this friendship, just complimenting her and affirming her for the process. That's really great that you reached out to her today. I think it's great that you're trying to develop more new friends. It's really important in terms of building self-esteem, and this has been shown in decades of studies, that we affirm people for process and their try. And this is a great tip for kids as well. Instead of telling your kid, you're so smart, tell them, you work so hard on this math test. That's great. It's really helpful to start to pay more attention, complimenting and affirming the process. So hopefully that gets you started, Andy. Obviously this is a big complex question, but I think that would be my first and most robust tip for you. Michelinda from Facebook says, how do I help my kids develop good self-esteem? I've read the stats on poor self-esteem in kids and teens and the adverse effects into adulthood, and it's scary. Okay, Michelinda, totally understand this. And this is actually a great follow-up to Andy's question, because as I mentioned, this idea of complimenting and commenting process is really important for both adults and kids. And so that's one of the tips, but there's also a few other tips that I can help you with so that you know how to affirm your children in a way that helps foster positive self-esteem. First and foremost, we all have to realize that um, adults, important adults in kids' lives, they're the mirrors for their children. And so even if your own self-esteem isn't in a great place, it's important that you start to develop and cultivate some of your own self-esteem boosting skill sets and having your children observe you doing that or talk about what you're doing. You can make this into things that are interesting for children, making them into a game. There's a number of different types of self-esteem boosting activities that you can do together in a family. And some of them involve things like writing down five things that you're grateful for about yourself and really paying attention and focusing on those things that feel more like skill sets. Recently, I did this exercise with one of the families that I'm working with, and the parents were astounded because their child was writing things like, 
I am pretty, <laughs> I am smart. And while that's very lovely, um, we also then talked to the child about, well, what are some skill sets that you have that you really appreciate about yourself? So again, you know, turning your attention to building a self-esteem that isn't all based on traits and more based on things like skill sets, process, even your roles in life. So do you appreciate that you're a sister? Do you appreciate that you're a friend to so many people? And so focusing on roles and process in addition to traits is a great place to start. Also, it's important as a parent to listen and to accept your child's feelings. Oftentimes parents don't realize that it does a number on their children's self-esteem if they criticize certain feelings that they have, particularly negative feelings that they have. Well, don't be so angry. Don't be so scared. There's no point in being scared. Sometimes parents are saying that to try to boost their child up, to try to get them to do something. But actually, it has the opposite effect because the child then feels invalidated and like they can't truly express themselves. And that actually does influence how they feel about themselves over time. And so really just accepting your child's feelings, whether they're positive or negative, and really in many ways commenting more on, I understand that you feel this way. How can I help? Sometimes parents say things like, well, I'm sorry you feel sad. When you make a statement like that, I'm sorry you feel sad, it connotes a negative uh, idea about that negative feeling. And so even though it feels subtle, it's a really important part of how we actually accept what our children are telling us. And so I hope those tips will help you get started, Michelinda. And again, great question because self-esteem development does start in childhood. Awesome. God, you know, as a clinician, which I am as well, like you, the fact that you pull so easily from like dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, like I love it. Oh, good. This next question is from Yasmin from Twitter. Whenever I communicate directly and assertively, I immediately feel guilty afterwards and then I will backtrack or apologize. This happens at work even when I'm the supervisor talking to my staff. Why does this happen and how can I stop? Well, Yasmin, great question. And I think what happens is oftentimes we get messages that when we are direct or assertive that maybe that's not compassionate, maybe that's not kind, but actually direct and assertive communication is the kindest thing that you can do for someone else. And I'll give you an example. When somebody isn't a clear communicator, and in fact, they're passive aggressive and they don't actually tell you how they truly feel, it actually is ultimately unkind to the other person, because not only can they not then meet your needs and wants and expectations, but also they're left thinking a completely different thing about the situation and about how they're doing with you than you meant to communicate. And that actually causes a lot more problems down the line. And you're not giving feedback to the person that could help them to improve in a variety of ways. And so really starting to change the narrative on what assertive communication is and how it actually serves both yourself and the person that you're in relationship with is going to be the first step. The second step is really understanding why you feel guilty afterwards. Is it because in your childhood, you had somebody tell you that these are not good things to do? And thinking about why that message was given to you, oftentimes we carry these childhood messages into our adulthood, but they don't apply to our current situation. And so really assessing why the guilt, why do you feel bad when you ask somebody directly for what they want? And finally, how to stop. It's really about crafting what you're going to say in advance. 
especially if you're not used to doing it in a way that feels comfortable to you. Eventually, you won't have to do that in such a systematic way. But in the beginning, it's really helpful to write down what it is that you want. Be clear about what you want from the situation. What is the outcome that you want at the end of the conversation? And then thinking about something that you can bring that is positive about what the person did. And again, focusing on the process. I really appreciate your efforts on this project. However, I'm going to need you to revise section two because of this. That's your ask. Make sure you have that written down ahead of time. And then finally, clearly communicate the expectation or the outcome that you want. I would like you to have the revised section two email to me by the end of the day today. The last part of your ask can be a suggestion for support. If you have questions, let me know. If you need any more help, give me a call. And if you follow that step-by-step process for crafting your message in advance, it's going to be greatly helpful to you to be able to start seeing this as a tool for improving both your life and the person's life who you are in conversation with. So good luck with that, Yasmin. And again, really easy to systematize this once you get a few practice rounds in. Such great questions from all of the listeners today and some that we didn't get to, but I hope that that got you started. And I felt like all of those questions were really relatable. So I want to move on now to the supercharged secret of the day, which is how we can make our self-esteem soar at any age. The first tip is to disentangle your self-worth from your achievements, accomplishments, and outcomes. That's the first thing that people think about when we talk about self-esteem is what have I accomplished? What have I done in life? All of these tangibles, but you have worth as a human being just because you're a human being. I know that that may not resonate right now, particularly if you're really seated into this idea of self-esteem and self-worth being congruent with what you've accomplished in life, but there's so many other ways to think about self-esteem, your efforts, your process, your roles in life, how you serve and interact with other people. So I really encourage you to think about it from a more holistic view, combining all of those elements to make up your ultimate self-worth. The second tip is to identify your common negative beliefs and start questioning, transforming, and de-emphasizing their impact on your life. We had a great listener question from Linda. That was our first question. And I think this is a really interesting aspect of how our self-esteem is developed is that we carry these voices that we heard as children into our adult lives. And then we continue to use them over and over again, even when they don't apply. So really recognizing that thoughts are just mental events. They could be true or they could not be true. Stop putting so much stock in a particular thought and get used to using the devil's advocate approach that we talked about earlier. Really important to start questioning your thoughts. What's really true, what's really not true. And for those that don't serve any purpose, but are just those nagging voices that you can't get rid of yet, start de-emphasizing their impact on your life. Recognize that it's a thought that you're having, but don't let it influence your emotions. And my best tip for this is called labeling. This is from the acceptance and commitment therapy literature, where you just label a thought as what it is. I'm having the thought that 
I don't feel good today. I'm having the thought that I'm never going to reach my goals. Instead of just taking those thoughts and running with them, de-emphasize your impact on your life and you will find that this is going to be really helpful in combating those negative beliefs. The third tip is to tap into the power of VAM. This is an acronym I made up to talk about a trifecta of skills to practice daily, and it also helps reinforce your self-esteem. The first part of that is visualizations, really visualizing yourself as an assertive, confident individual, visualizing your successes before you step into the room for an interview or a difficult conversation. These things really pay off. Visualization is like a mental practice and people have been tapping into the power of visualizations for decades. And so definitely try that out for yourself. Secondly, affirmations. Affirmations are extremely important, but they have to be affirmations that you can believe in. So if you're not feeling great about yourself, saying a super positive affirmation isn't going to work. But again, back to the process, affirm yourself for the process, affirm yourself for your approach, affirm yourself for your attitude, affirm yourself for your try. Those are great places to start when you're not feeling good. And thirdly, meditations, the third part of VAM is all about doing meditations that work for you. It can be a walking meditation. It could be the loving kindness meditation that we've talked about, but these affirming meditations are also really important in reinforcing your self-esteem. My fourth tip is to pinpoint your competencies and also keep challenging yourselves to develop old and new skill sets. So really take the time to write down the skill sets that you appreciate about yourself. What are some of the skill sets that you know are totally in your wheelhouse and you feel confident about? And then on a separate list, write down a couple of skills that you'd like to improve upon that you would like to gain more of and make a commitment to yourself to work on one or two skill sets every month. Spend some time really cultivating these skill sets. The more skills that you have, the more you're going to feel good about yourself. And that is going to definitely help to bolster your self-esteem. The final tip is to invest daily in self-care. I know we talk about it all the time, but it is truly important to take good care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. And this can look very simple. Sometimes people think self-care and they think, oh, it's hours of yoga and hours of meditation. And I just don't have time for that. But self-care could just be eating healthy foods, getting a little bit of exercise every day, making sure you get good sleep, making sure you take time to communicate and socialize with people who are important to you, reading something that's inspirational or lifts your mood, these things can take a few minutes a day. They don't have to take hours, but do invest in that self-care daily. Not only are you sending yourself the message that you are important to take care of, and that bolsters your self-esteem, but it is also one of the greatest forms of self-compassion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. And take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. I do read all of your reviews and comments. And today, I wanted to shout out a listener, Allie, who wrote the sweetest review for me. She says, this podcast is truly supercharged with life-changing information. I'm learning so much, but what I love is that it's also so entertaining and engaging. No dry, boring talks here. You walk away from each episode wishing for more, and with insight and awareness, you can apply that very day to make the day and your life 
better. The conversations are super approachable and practical. I'm really enjoying the variety of guests and how they all come from such different backgrounds and fields. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you so much, Ali, for those words of encouragement for me. And please do leave me a review and I'll shout you out on a future episode. And speaking of which, if you have a question that you'd like me to tackle on a future upcoming episode of this podcast, send me a DM and I will make sure to try to get to you as soon as I can. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.